Blog Talk Radio. Into the breach we go again. It is another Friday, and you are on my mind with CR. So today we've got um, a really interesting uh, co-ho or a uh, interesting guest. Uh, I am hosting it all by myself. Uh, Adrian had to go um, and be at her work tonight, so. I will be just running it by myself. Um, we're going to be talking to Dennis Esbach. Uh He works at the Cabin on 360 in Mechanicsville, Virginia. And we're going to talk to him about um, the cabin and some uh, abilities that he has. I will go ahead and bring him up. Hello, Dennis. How are you today? Got me there, Dennis? Hello, how you doing, sir? Yeah, I can see it. It's a little choppy. Can you hear me? Uh, no, looks like we might be having a little bit of technical difficulty. He's, uh, Dennis is actually... All righty. Dennis is actually on location right now uh, doing an event later tonight, so uh, we may or may not be able to do this. Hopefully, we'll be able to. Um, so, like I said, um, he works at a place called uh, Cabin on 360. Um, it's in Mechanicsville, uh, Virginia, um, and it is basically a land with two buildings on it that have uh, paranormal ties to it. Uh, let's see. Let's go ahead and bring him back up. Mr. Dennis, how you doing? Yeah, I can. Dennis, can you hear me? Got me there? All right. Yeah, go ahead. You can. Yep. All right. Sounds good. Go ahead and call in, sir. All right. So we will have him go ahead and call in. Uh, Let me bring him up one more time. So he's going to try and call in here. So technical difficulties, and I guess that's what you get. Um, when you are out on site, but it happens. So we will see what we can do, um, and hopefully we can get him on here. There he is. 
Hey, CR. All right, let's see if this is any better. Can you hear me, sir? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I do hear you. Unfortunately, where I'm at doesn't have strong enough signal to carry the video. Right. Well, you you know, I think Oh, not at all. We can can go ahead and make it an old-fashioned radio talk show. I'm good with that. Nobody wants to stare at my ugly mug anyway. (laughs) Well, you know, they have to stare at my mug anyway, so. Yeah, well, that's not not always a bad thing. No. So as I was telling my viewers, um, so you are in Mechanicsville, uh, you're the Cabin on 360 is in Mechanicsville, Virginia, correct? That's correct. And I'm okay. actually in Hopewell, which is about 40 minutes from the cabin. But for tonight, I'm in an area called Matthews County, um, an area called Old House Woods. Uh, this, is, this, this area dates back to um, early settlers. There's some thought that maybe even the settlers from the Lost Island of Roanoke from the 1590s came up this hmm. far. So I'm out here tonight. I've been invited to come out, and I apologize for double booking. Um, I thought one was Friday, one was Saturday, and turns out they're both Friday. But um, we're doing a spirit walk and have general public coming out. We're going to see if we can make contact with some of the spirits of either the natives or the settlers, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But this is the same area that I filmed the episode of Buried Worlds with Don Wildman for the Travel Channel with. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to do some research on that. I'm not really up to par that, but um, wanted to bring you on tonight and um, talk to you a little bit about the uh, Cabin on 360. Um, can you go ahead and give a brief history as to um, maybe the history on the land and then maybe a brief history on the buildings there? Well, sure, sure. So the Cabin on 360 sits right outside Richmond, Virginia, which, as everybody knows, was the capital of the Confederacy during the Civil War. We actually sit on seven acres of battlefields from the Battles of Bethesda Church. Um, So within a mile and a half or so of our location, according to historic records anyway, I can account for 2,264 men that were killed, captured, wounded, or missing in action. Um, wow. This includes less than a tenth of a mile from our property was a major engagement between 10th Virginia and mm-hmm. the Union troops. Um, so literally a stone's throw away from our structures are the remnants of the foundation for Bethesda Church that was a Confederate headquarters. And then about a mile away to our north, northwest, is the Bia House. That was a union headquarters. Well, we sat right in the middle. So 10th Virginia left out of Bethesda Church, headed on an offensive attack against the Via House, 500 members strong. Unbeknownst Mm -hmm. to them, there were 5,000 members of the Union Army coming in to attack Bethesda Church. And 10th Virginia got um, bogged down in a muddy crossing and literally were fishbowled. So we sat right on that. Um, we're right 
a quarter of a mile or less from a major crossroads that the Confederates were told at all costs maintain this crossroad. So, uh-huh. as you can imagine, it was a main thoroughfare into Richmond for supplies, troop movements, and everything else. So there was some pretty voracious fighting that took place right on our land um, in order to take control of that crossroads. Right. Now, after the Civil War, now we show one structure existing there during the Civil War, and that was the Curry family home. Uh, the Curry family were mentioned in a lieutenant colonel's um, journal that they had come seeking reparations for damage that the Union troops had done coming through there. They had, they gutted the Curry home. But that sits mm-hmm. right where our two structures are. So the cabin on 360 is truly a log cabin, and we named it the cabin on 360 because it's kind of a landmark for the local area. Anybody that's been in the Mechanicsville area for a long time, um, the cabin was built in 1979, 1980. So it became a landmark. It's the only log cabin around. Um, you know, so if you were given directions, hey, you go out to you know, run out 360, when you get to the cabin, you know, you go X many miles further, and you, you know, whatever. So it became a landmark. So we stuck with that name because it was so well-known locally. Now, next to the cabin is a little brick rancher. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, they already knew, you know, the locals all knew it as the cabin on 360, so we thought, hey, great name for it. But Right. right next to the cabin, there's a little brick rancher that was there prior to... Um, Jones Construction and Realty, which is Ryan's family's construction company. Ryan Jones, okay. um, who runs the Vibe Network, um, and is my partner in running this location. His grandfather mm-hmm. actually bought that 7.2 acres in July of 1978. Um, so the Brick Rancher was already there. We don't know when it was built, but I'm going to take a guess from the architectural style and the, the build design of it, probably the mid-60s, early 60s at best. But right. what makes it an active thing, other than the land and what's been done on the land, is on the morning of Friday, October 4th, 1979, the family that lived there was the Elliott family. And you had 12-year-old mm-hmm. Melissa Carroll Elliott. You had 17-year-old Randy Lynn Elliott. And then mom and dad. Randy Lynn had been adopted by Mr. Elliott in 1972. But on that morning, Friday, October 4th, for unknown reasons, Randy raped and murdered Melissa in the home. Oh, my. Threw her body out the bedroom window. Uh, carried her body off 75 to 100 yards into the woods and dropped her body into a refrigerator box and then took off running across the fields. He was found three days later in Lumberton, North Carolina. Uh, Mm -hmm. Detectives from the local law enforcement went down and interviewed him, asked him all the questions about what had taken place. Uh, He didn't deny anything that was allegated against him and came home to face 
trial and everything and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Unfortunately, with the leniency of the government that we have now and well, the previous governor, he was paroled in 2019. It's horrible. So last known whereabouts on him is back in North Carolina with family. But mm-hmm. we we started investigating the property. Uh, so Ryan and I formed a team, Commonwealth Researchers of the Paranormal, um, I had already had the the team and the name picked and everything, but most of the team that I had at that time was law enforcement. So availability was a major issue. So I kind of backed off from it. Then I brought Ryan on board with me. Um, I met Ryan through another individual that became aware of the fact that I can do remote views and had asked me to remote view a location for him that they were preparing to go to for a second adventure. Um, Ryan and I hit it off pretty well. We partnered up. He spent about a year trying to talk me into going out to the cabin. <laughs> I I had a hard time justifying going to the cabin. I hadn't tried to remote view it. Um, I didn't know any history of it. But to me, it was just, well, it's just a log cabin on the side of the highway and a little brick house beside that. What's the significance? I, I don't see what the purpose is. He's like, well, you know, right. we can just use it for a training ground for our team. Hey, hey, that makes sense. So I finally agreed to go out there, and we, we walked through the log cabin. Both of them are empty. Uh, both of them are zoned commercial. So we were, you know, the, the company is waiting for tenants to rent the property, you know, business mm-hmm. of some sort. Um, but in the meantime, we figured we can use them as like a training ground. Well, right. the log cabin, I had a little inclination was active, but then we walked into the brick rancher. And mm-hmm. CR, I'm, I'm telling you, I made it three or four steps in the front door, stopped dead in my tracks, and I felt an energy that I haven't felt before. And I told Ryan, you know there's something here that's not human and never has been. This place is effed up. And he's like, really? Like, yeah, there is something seriously wrong here. And then we walk down into the basement. And as we're looking around the basement, out of nowhere, this female scream echoes through the house. This wasn't a scream of laughter and joy. This was sheer terror. And it was loud enough that we both thought, well, maybe somebody's outside, maybe they're on the property, maybe somebody else came in the house. So we went searching, and we could find nothing. Mm-hmm. And that started us on that started us on investigating there. Well, like, you know, I want to know who I who we heard scream. You know, right? Obviously, at that moment, there was nothing to incite an intelligent response. So the assumption mm-hmm. was that this was a residual scream. Now, Ryan knew oh, about the murder. Say again, sir? Uh, a, a disembodied scream from maybe the happenings of that day. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, we assumed it was a residual scream. But like I said, Ryan knew of the murder. He was a, a young man then, uh, still a child. Mm-hmm. But he remembers his dad coming home. His dad actually was called 
the day of the murder and, and actually had helped the coroner place Melissa's body in the body bag. Um, but he didn't speak much about it. It was one of those things that you know he tried to put out of his memory. So we didn't have a whole right. lot of information. We didn't know the age of the victim. We didn't know who the perpetrator was. We didn't know anybody's names. So, you know, Ryan thought maybe this was a 17, 18, 19-year-old woman that had been murdered there. We just did not know. Well, I set out to do background and history and everything else. And I had gone to the courthouse pulling property records and everything as much as I could, trying to find any information at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But without a victim's name, you really don't have a whole lot to go on. So I had gone to the courthouse so often that the deputies finally stopped running me through the magnetometer and then asked me, so what are you investigating? Why are you out here so much? What, what's your research? So I told them, and they, they informed me at that point that I've got somebody you might want to speak with. Well, they radioed mm-hmm. to captain and asked her to come over and meet with me, and it was Captain Nelson from the Hanover County Sheriff's Department that was a rookie patrol deputy the day of the murder. She was on scene. Then she introduced me to retired lieutenant, and he was on scene as well. So I got to talk to both of them and find out, I don't remember the victim's name, but they remembered the perpetrator's name. And that started my search. So then I went into newspapers.com and did an archive search, and I started finding all the news articles about it. Then we discover that, you know, this was a 12-year-old girl. She was in seventh grade just up the road from the cabin. You know, it, it became an emotional tie because this was such a young girl whose life had been cut short. Ryan and I both, at that time, Ryan's daughter was about Melissa's age. So wow. it became a very emotional tie for us to actually know who this victim was. Since right. then, we've had um, some of her school classmates have come out and talked to us. They've told us a little bit about Melissa. A young lady that was supposed to spend that Friday night at Melissa's house came out, and she brought us a oh, yearbook that had a memorial page in it to Melissa. So we now have a face and a name to put with this young lady that was murdered. Uh, oh. You know, so it... It, it's definitely become an emotional attachment for both of us because we have so much invested in finding out who this young lady was and how do we honor her, how do we respect her memory. And I think right. over the years we've done right well. We've, done a, we've hosted dozens of uh, charity events. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and none of these would be possible if it hadn't been for this young lady reaching out from the other side and screaming that day. Uh, right. We've gotten class A EVPs where she's given her name. Uh, mm-hmm. I have a class A EVP that actually, for lack of a better term, shook me to my core. I was standing in her bedroom, leaned against the window with a group of public in front of me. And I'm just holding a voice recorder and I asked the simple question, Melissa, are you here with us, sweetheart? And I've got the sweetest young lady's voice comes back on the recorder and says, I'm with you. Oh. I played it back. 
I heard that, and I played it back a second time, and I heard that voice, and I just set my recorder in the window and told my group, I'll be right back. And I went outside and cried for a moment because that one hit so hard. Right. So, in a paranormal investigating... Go ahead, sir. And what do you do in that moment, too, you know? You've got your feelings all wrapped up in that because you've had, you know, you're emotionally wrapped up in it because you know the story. Exactly. It's, you know, paranormal investigating isn't just about going out to hear voices or have them knock on a wall or whatever. Paranormal investigating is about honoring those that have crossed, those that have left, be it in a timely manner or an untimely manner like this young lady. And I don't think that new investigators understand the emotional connection that you can build to a spirit in a location. Right. Just seems to me that it's people that want to go out and get a scare and have that adrenaline. And, you know, I, I'm i kind of in the, the area that you are too where it's, it's not all about that. It's about, you know, being in a place where there was a connection to somebody and, and understanding maybe what they would have done or, you know, what happened to them or, or what their life story was. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I've heard it described before, and I can't, I can't put it into any better words. Our job as a paranormal investigator is to give a voice to those that have no voice. Right. And I, I think that's probably the best way to do it. It's for them to tell their story. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I was leading public investigation one time. Vibe Radio Network actually hosted an event at a place called St. Albans Sanatorium. And that's out in Radford, Virginia. And I was down in the bowling alley. I've got probably eight, ten members of the public in front of me. I'm running the voice recorder, and I asked the question, we've all heard the horror stories of what's happened here. Can you tell us anything good? Were there birthday parties, Christmas parties, or anything like that? Was there anything good? And I've got a voice back on the recorder, plain as day. Sounds like a young person standing beside me and says, there was nothing good. Wow. So, you know, it's it's more it's more than just getting them to knock on the wall or you know, light up this instrumental or you know, ring that bell. It's about giving them a voice and let their story be heard. And I think that's what draws me into the paranormal so much and what has kept me with the paranormal and the stories and everything that we've picked up. And amazing. Um, you know, Ryan has an EVP where he asked, do you know who Randy is? And a voice on the recorder comes back. I don't remember if he was running SB7 or not. But, um mm-hmm. But the voice, the response back was, he did it. And so wow. it's from the other side of, of the veil that we're getting responses telling us what took place. Um, so right, 
Ryan had sent me a YouTube video of, um, I think it was you telling a couple of guys from a paranormal group that was going to do an investigation. You were just walking them through and you were, you were telling them the history of the house. And, um, you were talking about, uh, maybe in that, that situation where you had a, a, a recorder out and you actually asked, um, you know, well, what happened or something. And, and there was a gruff voice that came over and said, you know, he did it or, you know. Yeah, there's, there's been a lot of very strange things. So part of our theory on the Brick Rancher where the murder actually took place, there's an entity in the basement that has proven itself time and time again, um, which I think is the energy I picked up on that first day where I told Ryan there's something here that's not human and never has been. Um, mm-hmm. I asked the question on a EVP session one time, um, why did you do that? Why did you cause Randy to rape and murder his sister? Um, no, I take that back. My question was, did you do it? Did you cause Randy to do this? And I got a deep, gruff, yes. Then Twisted Paranormal Society came through and did an episode of their TV series, The Twisted Realm, and Tana mm-hmm. asked the question, why? Why did you do that? And the response they got back was that same deep, gruff voice that says, the violence, and stressed that S out the same way my yes response was. So something there is acknowledging playing a role in that. Now, I'm not dismissing what Randy did. What he did was despicable. Um, Uh But it makes you wonder, is it possible that the paranormal can play into one's psyche enough to cause odd things to be done? Right. And Um, could it may have have been a possession at one point? Exactly. Or if not a full-blown possession, was it at least an oppression? Was it the beginnings of a demonic possession? You know, I don't want to for lack of better terms, I don't want to baganize the location and go, it's a demon. Right. Frankly, I don't know what the hell it is. I don't Mm -hmm. know what that entity is. I don't know if it's demonic. I don't know if it's um, elemental. I don't know if it's... I know it's not a human spirit. I can tell you that. I've, I've done enough investigations. I've interacted with enough human spirit to know how they feel. Uh, this just right. doesn't feel like, uh, you know, we all have a connection with somebody that's close enough, you know, a, a sibling or another family member. When they try to walk up, try to sneak up behind you, your body feels that energy and you know they're there. Right. And with with the number of investigations that I've done, I've tuned into what a human energy and a human fear, spirit feels like. And this is something uh-huh. totally different. I, I just don't know how to categorize it. But Let you know, we've ask, had several yeah. investigators that go ahead ask. Um, so my question is, 
so if you're doing a if you're doing an investigation in the basement, say you know sitting in a couple chairs, is it something that's going to try and come and take you over, or does it just want you off? You there, Dennis? Signal's been great all this time. Now it's going to buzz out. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I got, I got you back. Yep. For so whatever reason, the signal you, just bottomed out. Yeah, so I don't know if you heard me, but I was saying, so if you're if you're in a group of, of people um, and you're down in the basement and you're doing an investigation, is it something that's going to pick on the weakest one or is it something that wants everybody out? Well, and that brings up a good point. I don't think it's the weakest one, so to speak, because I had John Harris, um, who's from RVA Paranormal. His wife, Lynn, and their daughter, Kristen, investigate with us from time to time. And if we've got a large group on one of our charity events, they'll come out and and support us and and lead groups for us. And even Mm -hmm. John, who has investigated for nearly a decade, um, was the one that was targeted. Um, instrument after instrument had battery failure. When it finally frustrated him enough that he got upset, um, that I guess, so to speak, the straw that broke the camel's back is his SLS camera. He runs off of a Microsoft Surface 4 Pro tablet. So he should have okay. hours of battery. He said he right. watched it within minutes go from 78% to zero and turn off. And he got up and kind of stomped across the basement just frustrated, and his wife and daughter were telling him, you know, it's okay, we're used to it, it's just battery drain. Well, I mm-hmm. got called to come help him when he was on his hands and knees at the little side access road crying because he – as he expressed to me, Dennis, I have never wanted to hurt my family. But when that battery died and they kept telling me it's okay, he goes, I just wanted to punch them in the mouth till they shut up. He's like, I have never had that feeling before. It scared the hell out of me. So it, And mm. he was by far not the weakest one there. So it targeted somebody that it knew could cause damage. I think that's what it targets not necessarily the weakest one in the group because they can't cause damage, but I think the one that could cause damage would be the one it will target. And it it plays Uh, a purely emotional game. Right. Another thought that I had is, is there any history of, like, occult or satanic goings on 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 those grounds? Not to our knowledge. Um, okay. You know, it's from the time that the Elliott murder occurred. As far as we know, it's never had um, residents back in the home. It's, it was zoned commercial not long after that. The shower wash space was torn out, uh, so the bathroom is nothing now more than a hand sink and toilet. So no families have ever lived there. It's all been businesses. So we don't know 
of any history of any worshiping or you know, anything to that nature. And we don't know of mm-hmm. any history of that being done in the log cabin either. Right. Now, so when you when you first went there, you said that you you went in without any knowledge of anything going on. So you didn't go in front loaded at all. You go you went no. in having no idea. Yeah, I I went in with no history of the property. Um, the only thing that I knew was um, Howie O'Dell and his team, All Seeing Paranormal Society, had gone in and investigated one night for just a couple of hours. They said they'd heard a growl. One of the investigators apparently was scratched, and they decided to back out. That was the extent of what I knew on the property. Um, right. So, you know, I I would prefer to go into a location, um, so to speak, and... Mm-hmm. Just let the location do its thing. Right. You know, I that takes away all preconceived notions. It takes away, you know, going into a location where you're told repeatedly, "Well, we know this was Bobby's room." Okay, so now mm-hmm. you're going to go into that room and you're going to try to talk to Bobby. Well, what if Bobby's not right. there? And what if it's a, a, you know, Susie? You're not even going to ask Susie to interact with you. You have those blinders on that lead you to talk to Bobby. So Susie's going to sit back going, well, shit, I guess they don't want to talk to me. (laughs) So I go in with an open mind. I ask in general, who is here with us? Would you like to speak with us? Would you please uh, give us your name? And that leaves an open book. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I um, so I've talked to Ryan a little bit, and uh, so I work at a uh, heritage village out here in Minnesota. Uh, I work uh, grounds crew, and then I also um, interpret the train depot that we have on site. Um, and these uh, gathering of buildings have been in Dakota County. Um, for over 100 years. Uh, the depot itself is over 100 years old, and it was built in 1860. Um, nice. So every morning every morning when I unlock the buildings that we're going to use for the school tours, as soon as I unlock the door, I say, hello, good morning, how you doing? And when I leave, I tell them, okay, have a good night. I'll be back here tomorrow, or we'll be back on Monday. Um, and that 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 seems to help because I have I have heard them around. Yeah. Well, so years ago I did a podcast called Full Spectrum Radio, and we were working on a theory, the theory of familiarity. If you investigate a location time and time and time again, the spirits get to know you. They become familiar with you. They know that you're okay to talk with. And I. I wholeheartedly believe in that. Um, you know, one of the mandates that I put in place anytime I lead a public group is you talk to the spirits here with respect, the same as you would any of the other investigators that are here. They're somebody's mother right. or brother, father, daughter, whatever. You talk to them with respect, you're more likely to get responses back from them. 
You know, I, mm-hmm. I watch some of these TV shows where they go in and play the hard ass. And I'm like, you know, if I was a spirit, I'd, I would do, you know, either aim something heavy at your head if I figured out how to throw things, or I'm just going to walk away and go, he's an asshole. I'm not talking to him. Yeah. That's where I've I've lost faith in a couple of those groups and a couple of those groups because, you know, they started out on like men, you know, they, they would go to a location. They're like, okay, this isn't working. So they step it up the wrong way. And I, I believe in going to a place and being like the special forces, you basically go in even nothing and take out leaving nothing. Uh, so like you were never there. But if you go in and you start provoking or being mean, you're going to leave something behind. Oh, most definitely. You know, and that goes the same with doing a private residence investigation, too. So many people have reached out to me and said, you know, I've, I've got activity in my home, but I'm hesitant to have anybody come in because I don't want them to stir it up and then leave and I'm mm-hmm. stuck with it. Right. And I watch some of these other teams that, you know, they're not – I don't mean to down-talk anybody else, but, you know, frankly, if you're not able to work with the spirit or help the spirit move on or if you're not willing to ask somebody that is capable of helping spirit move on, Please don't go into a private residence. You can cause so much more trouble for the homeowner or client than mm-hmm. they already had. Yeah. You know, it, it, if you walk in with the, all right, asshole, I'm here, talk to me attitude, when you right. leave, that spirit's still there, and now the family's got to deal with it being angered because they brought in somebody that talked negative to them and just, Riled them up. Right. And it's funny you mention that phrase because I've seen you do that on the video when you walk downstairs in the rancher. I do. I do. Um, <laughs> and so, all right, let me preface this this way. Mm-hmm. We had a New Year's Eve party out there. And we had, you know, team members and their kids and everything were watching uh, Times Square ball drop. And I am a very proud supporter of our Second Amendment right. I usually carry a sidearm. I was sitting back in the uh, main room in the log cabin, and I'm watching the kids dance, and everybody's cracking jokes, and we're having a great time. And out of nowhere, I just started getting mad. I'm sipping my Mm -hmm. coffee, just biting my tongue. And then I started having images in my head of drawing my weapon and starting to cap everybody there. And that's when I realized what was happening. I was being toyed from next door. So I walked into the uh-huh. brick rancher, and I flung the front door open and slammed it into the wall, and I yelled, all right, mother effer, we need to talk. And I went straight to the basement. Well, I kid you not, that whole house growled at me. But I reached an agreement with him that night. I will not bring my saints and you know, buckets of holy water into this place. If you leave me alone, we'll get along right. fine. So mm. from 
most of the time when I'm going to the basement, whether I call out, which my most common phrase is, I knock on the basement door and I start walking down and I say, coming down, asshole. And most of the time I either get asshole back or I get F you. But he hasn't tried to manipulate my thoughts and emotions anymore. So I, I right. think it's, for lack of better description, I think it's a mutual understanding that I can screw your world up and you can screw my world up. Mm-hmm. We'll just agree to get along. Right. So, yes, I do provoke him. Um, mm-hmm. And, it, you know, any spirit that is known to cause trouble, um, you know, the bully spirits, they're the ones that I will provoke. But, and I will, I will give this as a warning to those that think that that's okay. I am blessed in five religions and three different beliefs, and I'm an ordained minister. Mm-hmm. So when I provoke, I have good backing that protects me from what they can do. I don't right. suggest Joe Normal do these things. No. So we have just about 19 minutes. Um, I was wondering if you could talk about um, your um, remote viewing, uh, maybe how you use that or that helped you with investigations at the cabin. Well, I haven't so much used it as far as the cabin goes, but mm. as far as remote viewing, for me, generally it's, I get images or like short, well, now they call them reels, that will give me information about a location. Um, maybe I'll have a, well, one prime location, I mentioned Howie O'Dell and ASPS. When they asked mm-hmm. me to uh, look at a location that they were going back to, I literally had a tour guide Um So I I met with a gentleman named Washington that I guess he would be like the head servant for the house. He gave me a tour of the house. Now, this is all just um, some people refer to it. I don't know if there is a difference between remote viewing and astral projection. I don't know that there is a difference. But right for lack of better descriptions, I put my energy there. He led me around the house, introduced me to the spirits that I would interact with. As it turns out, they had already investigated there, had investigated those areas that I told them about. They had Mm -hmm. the name Washington given to them on an EVP. Um, But for me, it was kind of like I closed my mind and, you know, if you if you took a family vacation a couple of years ago and you close your eyes and you open your mind and you you remember seeing like a video of that event that that time that you went to the beach or whatever that was kind of how it was for me doing that remote view okay i could close my eyes open my mind washington led me through and it was like i was physically there like i remembered being there walking through with Washington. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, I had never been to the location. I didn't even know where the location was. 
I didn't know a name of it, where it was, or anything else about it. But that was how right. that remote view was. Now, I've done others where I didn't have that um, guide, so to speak, where I just kind of wander through the location. Um, I put my energy there, and I just kind of wander through. And I did one for um, Lyle and Tana, the Twisted Paranormal Society, for a location that they had investigated months earlier. They made mention, I had interviewed them a couple of times on my radio show, and I finally got to meet them for the first time in person. And he goes, you know, we chit-chatted back and forth, and he goes, well, listen, we've got an investigation coming up in a couple of weeks. And I put my hand up and said, well, and I started telling him all about this location and uh-huh. what spirits and where they were in the building and everything else. And he's like, bro, you've got to come with us. You have got to come check this place out and just just validate what you've just told us. He's like, everything that you have just told us is spot on. But that one was just a spur of the moment. It wasn't a, a for lack of better terms, guided one. Um, so how does, how but, does that usually happen? Do you do you have to put yourself in like a meditative state, or is it you know does it just happen when you're like walking down the street, or it's very peculiar if. Something is mentioned, um, it'll trigger a connection for me. Uh, sometimes I'll see a photograph. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like with with the one that I did, Mount Eagle Farms, which you can actually go back and view that that uh, episode. I believe is still available. It's on Paraflex Network. Um, okay. But that was the farm. That was the. Uh, plantation home that I did for the Twisted Realm, he just mentioned we have an investigation coming up in a couple of weeks, and all of a sudden, I I could see the structure. I could see and interact with the spirits that were there. Um, so it, it varies from time to time. If I focus on a location or I focus on a person, um, mm-hmm. I can I can make a connection. I had a young lady I was on the phone with one night, and she's another investigator. She's from northern Virginia, about an hour, maybe hour and a half away from me. And all of a sudden, I started getting these images to me, and I start warning her. Um, you know, I see looking out the back of your house to like the 11 o'clock position, there's a very bright light in the up towards the sky. I don't know if this is a street lamp or what, but I see somebody in dark clothing hiding there um, in this light that's being cast on the ground by this large tree. I suggest you get in the house. Um, I know you have firearms. Please protect yourself. There is something wrong. I see a red shirt, and this is danger. Well, she immediately grabbed her firearm, her wife was outside walking the dogs, and the bright light that I saw was a uh, police helicopter searching for an armed robbery suspect that was oh, in geez. or just off of their backyard by the one large tree that's just off their yard. Her wife was in a red shirt. So uh-huh. everything fell into place. 
But this man was literally just outside their property. But for whatever wow. reason, uh, I guess the universe gave me this warning to give to her. So it, I, can't, I can't pin down and go, this is how I do it. It just happens. <laughs> it's very peculiar. Have you ever been um, contacted, um, like, uh, police agency or uh, law enforcement agencies to help on cases with that? Or I have not. Um, I'm not. I'm not that well known in what I do. Um, I have reached out to law enforcement. And the trouble is getting information like that for law enforcement to act on, you have to overcome a couple of things. One, you have to overcome the, is this person providing this information, A, batshit crazy, or B, are they involved? Right. Um, But I... I encountered a young woman on a property and I'm I'm pretty certain this young woman was buried on that property. So I contacted law enforcement. There was a string of disappearances and murders here in Virginia called the Route 29 murders. It was Route mm-hmm. 29 that reached across state and half a dozen young ladies had disappeared on that corridor. I'm fairly certain I encountered one of those young ladies. Um, Hmm. So I reached out to that that locality's law enforcement, and I spoke with one of the detectives, and I asked them, you know, what what do we, how do we deal with this? And he says, well, frankly, there is nothing I can do unless the homeowner reaches out to us and says, I would like you to come research this area of my property. We can't Mm -hmm. go on their property, and he said, frankly, I am not about to go to a judge and say, I've had a man that claims to have gifts come to me and tell me this is here and try to get a warrant. No judge Mm -hmm. in their right mind is going to issue a warrant for that. So it's very difficult. Oh, I think I've lost you again. Oh, I, can you hear me still? I got you. Yeah, it just it oh, broke out for a moment. Yeah, so we got about uh, about nine minutes left. Um, I was talking to Ryan earlier today. Uh, he was kind of giving me some information and maybe some questions to ask you. Um, can you tell the listeners about this uh, flag planting that you're going to have out there on the 27th? Sure. So um, six and a half years or so ago, I took Ryan to a uh, cemetery that at that time was completely abandoned called Evergreen Cemetery. It's um, 60 acres, give or take, um, 20 plus thousand burials, and it's just overgrown. It was all private land, private cemeteries, and it, it started at the turn of the century. It was the black community's answer 
to Hollywood Cemetery in downtown Richmond, which because of segregation and all of that mess, a black man could not be buried at Hollywood Cemetery, which was thought to be the, for lack of better terms, cream of the crop for cemeteries. It was just a beautiful park-like setting. So the black community bought land and, and did their own cemetery. Mm-hmm. Well, being private property and being prior to um, what we now call the perpetual care laws, it just became overgrown as um, businesses or private individuals defaulted on it. So we right. decided, you know, there's dozens and dozens, turns out to be hundreds of military headstones out there. And okay. I'm prior military, um, fourth generation um, I just I have the utmost respect for our military. So Ryan and I decided that we would start going out uh, Memorial Day and Veterans Day, and out of our own pockets, we were buying flags to place on these headstones to commemorate the veterans' sacrifice. Right. Well, it kind of grew, and it grew, and it grew, and we're now in our sixth year doing it. Um, so on the 27th, the weekend of Memorial Day, we'll go out to Woodland Cemetery, a different cemetery that was also in the black community, has about 275 uh, military burials dating all the way back to the Spanish-American War at the turn of the century. Um, so we'll go, we're meeting there on the 27th at 10 a.m. We'll do a prayer for the veterans, and then we'll disperse through the cemetery and place flags. Um, and then we'll move over... It's about four miles to Evergreen and East End cemeteries and place flags there. And, you know, huge thanks to uh, Masonic Lodge Number 10 out of Richmond. They donated $350 to help us buy the flags. Um, I've got another $100 donation from, um, I don't remember the, the group number, but mm-hmm. it's... Um, Associated with the Masons, Knights Templar, um, okay. VFW Auxiliary Lodge out of Mechanicsville, Virginia, usually donates a couple of hundred flags, and they team up with the Boy Scouts, and all the old flags we send to them, and they retire them responsibly. Nice. Uh, so this year we've got about 700 um flags to place. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe I've got, now I'm a Masonic, I'm a Master Mason. I believe I've got volunteers from a couple of different Masonic lodges that are going to come out and help us place flags. We've got retired veterans from, retired or prior military from virtually every branch that come out and help us. Um, but we make a full day of it. And as you can imagine, finding and placing 700 flags is an all-day adventure. A task, yep. But it started just out of Ryan and I going to that abandoned cemetery and seeing these veteran headstones going, man, something's got to be done to honor them. Right. So we've continued that tradition. We do it at Memorial Day and Veterans Day every year. 
Well, that's that's amazing, um, and you know that that just gives me the butterflies. I come from a military family myself. Um, I never did get to join because I have too many too many medical problems, but I do. Um, I started out doing Civil War reenacting for ten years, and then I'm kind of in a timeline group now, so we really don't have a, a like. We don't focus on World War II. We don't focus on whatever our fancy is. So um, I really want to thank you for your service, and I want to thank you for helping, you know, do that. Um, And I'm also uh, part of the uh, funds of the uh, uh, American Legion. Um, So we're just coming up on three minutes here. So I would – I want to thank you for coming on and, and talking tonight. Um, I would like to extend to have you come on another time. Uh, maybe when my co-host is on, she might have some more questions for you. I know she always does. Um, and actually tomorrow night, I'm going to be talking to Ryan for an hour on the cabin as well. So it'll be interesting to uh hear his side of it and how you guys are doing. So uh, I just really wanted to thank you for coming on, agreeing to to talk about not only your uh, experiences the, at the cabin, but your remote viewing. And uh, I want to thank you for your service, sir. Uh, it's been my pleasure. I look forward to it again, and I would be more than happy to come on and do another episode with you. It's been a good time, and I appreciate you having me on. Um, oh, for those that are interested, if you want to find me on Facebook, I'm pretty easy to find, just Dennis S. Lock, uh, Facebook page. Um, send me a friend request. I'll gladly accept it. As well, find the Cabin on 360 Facebook, or my team has a Facebook page also, Commonwealth Researchers of the Paranormal. All right, Dennis. Well, thank you for uh, coming on and talking to us tonight, and uh, God bless, and have a great weekend. I appreciate it, and you have a wonderful weekend as well, and to all the mothers out there, you have a blessed Mother's Day. All right. Talk to you later, Dennis. Yes, sir. You have a great night. Thank you. All right, so that was Dennis F. Locke, um, great guy. Uh, and like I said, we will be talking to Ryan Jones tomorrow night at uh, 7 p.m. CST, uh, more about Cabin on 360 and how he does investigations with minimal electronic equipment. That'll do it for us tonight. Karen, Adrian will be back tomorrow to help us out with the show. And thank you for coming on. God bless everybody. And happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there this weekend. Have a great night, everybody.